Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So I do want to give a trigger warning that we're going to be talking about the mass shooting at a school in Evaldi, Texas. Um, I want to teach a quick skill as we're, as we're getting into the sermon because I do know that this is triggering for a lot of people. So here's a little bit of a, of a skill. I invite you to um, in, uh, plant your feet on the ground if it feels comfortable with you and to just kind of like let yourself sit well in the chair so that you can breathe really deep. So uh, when I was being trained in on the Enneagram, I had a somatic practitioner talk to me about how um, sometimes when you're feeling really big emotions, it feels like you're completely overwhelmed by those emotions. Have you ever felt that where it's like, oh, I'm just at sea and I'm being thrown and tossed by these emotions. And, um, and sometimes it's helpful to remember as somatic practitioners that no matter how intense your emotion is, there's some part of your body that is not reacting to it. There's some part of your body that is still finding stillness, even if you're feeling like there's a storm all over the place. And so sometimes it's helpful to get back in touch with whatever part of your body is not being activated to remind yourself that there is stillness possible and that there is peace available to you. And so we did this, you know, it's the Enneagram, so we're talking about personality, we're talking about childhood wounds, everyone's crying, and the practitioner um, went up to one of the folks who was really having a hard time and said, "Um, what part of your body is not uh, activated right now? And she said, my kneecap. And so the the somatic practitioner said, okay, all of us are going to breathe into our kneecap right now, because our kneecap is the part of our body that's still safe and feels at peace. So we're just going to like practice right now, and maybe identify a part of your body that is feeling like pretty good right now. We're just going to take a deep breath in, drawing resource from that, and exhaling out. This is a skill that you can use uh, throughout uh, your week as big emotions come up, as hard news comes up. We invite you to find peace alive in your body and know that the God of peace is speaking to you through that. Okay, so that's the skill for the day. I want to quick go back to one particular part that I I know that there's a lot of folks who grew up uh, at New City Church who grew up in a more conservative tradition, and um, so I maybe should have taught that skill before we read a scripture that had the phrase hell of fire (laughs) in it, there might be some folks in the room who are kind of like, I needed to breathe into my kneecap about 30 seconds ago. Uh, Because um, this concept of hell is is, uh, really intense. And for especially, you know, for part of, for folks in the queer community like me, um, we, a lot of us grew up with messages that like hell is the place where bad people go and if you're queer then that just means you're permanently bad forever and that means that that's what you're doomed to and so I <laughs> I want to acknowledge that like that can be kind of triggering itself and perhaps because it is so triggering for the queer community that I wanted to lean in harder to it or to, to really dig into this and understand it deeper because uh, that's kind of how I approach the Bible like it's all nice and good when it's like everything's love 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 freedom, liberation, blah, 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 God wants peace. I get it, (laughs) swipe left. But I can't wait until I hit a part that like I really don't agree with 
Because then it's like, ooh, what's going on here? Let me get into this. I want to sink into this. I want to research. I want to pull out my seminary books. So, um, and anytime that hell is mentioned, that is definitely a, a seminary book kind of moment. So, uh, so let's get into this. So, uh, hell of fire. Um, if we look into like the Greek, this is what the Greek is, uh, and this is uh, the um, English transliteration. Now, I bet you can recognize that last word is pyros. And pyros you recognize because like pyrotechnic, right? Like you know that that probably has something to do with fire. But what about this word ge'enon or Gehenna? Um, so in um, Gehenna, which is a transliteration of the Hebrew term, is the name of a valley. It's the name of a place. It's called the Valley of Hinnom. And uh, so then the question is, what happened in the Valley of Hinnom? Um, so if we see in the, um, yeah, yeah, so it's a valley south and west of Jerusalem. This, I think, is important because in the King James Bible, uh, all of these words were translated as hell, and that kind of stuck around, but the, the text itself had different words, and all of them got translated in hell, but they all were different words, and so one of those words was Gehenna, and Gehenna is referring to a literal physical place. If you were alive in Jesus's time, you could visit Gehenna. It wouldn't be very pleasant. It wasn't a very nice place, which we'll talk about in a second, but it was like you could, you could visit it, right? And, and that, I think, is first of all a very important evocative uh, note of language. Like when we talk about hell, mainly because of the medieval Christian Western discourse, we think about like kind of this like afterlife thing that is like there are certain images that come to mind. But for some of the time when Jesus was talking about things that got translated into hell, he wasn't even, he was talking about a place. He was talking about a literal place that had a name that you could visit, that had a smell, that you could like see things around. It was a place and it was south and west of Jerusalem. So the question is, what happened in the Valley of Hinnom? What happened in the Valley of Hinnom that Jesus is talking about it so uh, dramatically? Well, the answer for that is within the Bible itself. If you're new to the Bible, um, the parts that have to do with like Jesus and the church are in what we call the New Testament, and the scriptures that um, are, we hold in common with the Jewish uh, community is called, we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. So if we look back into the Hebrew Bible, in 2 Chronicles 28, 1-3, we see a description of what happened in this valley. Ready for this? Ahaz was 20 years old, <clears throat> 20 years old, when he became king and he ruled for 16 years in Jerusalem. He didn't do what was right in the Lord's eyes, unlike his ancestor David. Instead, he walked in the ways of Israel's kings, making images of the Baals and burning incense in the Ben-Hinnom Valley. He even burned his own sons alive, imitating the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. And then again in 2 Chronicles, we see Manasseh built altars for all the stars in the sky in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. He burned his own sons alive in the Ben-Hinnom Valley, consulted sign readers, fortune tellers, and sorcerers, and used mediums and diviners, did much evil in the Lord's eyes, and made him, that is God, angry. So what happened in the valley of Ben-Hinnom? Idolatry and child sacrifice by fire. And so there was this place where historically, centuries ago, before Jesus's time, there were children who were sacrificed by fire there. And it kind of like polluted the land, or it kind of made that place like a place that, that people uh, considered like a, a polluted, unclean 
place. Uh, uh, some traditions say that that um, uh, Gehenna became a landfill. That's a place where trash heaps were, and people would bring roadkill and uh, and the dead who didn't have anywhere on anyone to bury them. Like it was like a place where uh, trash went because it was unclean. Have you ever been in a place where you just kind of like feel the energy of all of a sudden, like, whoa, something happened here? Have you ever walked into a meeting and you're like, it's like stepping into like fog where it's like, whoa, this isn't right? Or have you ever like been walking outside and this is kind of uh, mystical. Have you ever been walking outside and all of a sudden you're like, something happened in this land that isn't right or something is still not healed there? That is what Gehenna was like. It was like this place where like the land itself was like, like uh, contorted and corrupted and polluted because of the violence to children that had happened in that place. That is what we considered hell. And, and it was so intense that Jeremiah the prophet later on said, the people of Judah have done what displeases me. Uh, Jeremiah is talking on behalf of God. Displeases me, declares the Lord. They have corrupted the temple that bears my name by setting up their disgusting idols. They have built shrines at Topheth in the Ben-Hinnom Valley to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Although I never commanded such a thing, nor did it ever cross my mind. Okay, listen. If you're doing something that didn't cross God's mind, God was like, whoa, that's a surprise. Wait, you did what? <laughs> like, if God, the creator of the universe, who knew all of us before the twink, you were a twinkle in God's eye, and God was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, we're going to have to, we're going to have to really, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Um, then, then that's not a good sign. That's not a great, that's not a great thing. That's not a great, that's not a great sign, y'all. Um, and, and here we have to rest in a theology that God is a God of abundance and life. God is a God who wants uh, all of creation to thrive. God is a God who wants the land to be healed for all people to live in peace and for our future to be secure. God, so like we have to understand that like God, not, that not crossing God's mind also says something about the goodness of God. Like God is looking at this like I designed you with such amazing good things in mind with so much hope and love in mind in the in the in your very sinews and dna there is the hope of god hoping that uh you will thrive and survive and and be in community that you will be in peace with the land that is built into your very body and it doesn't even cross god's mind for us to mistreat each other the way that we do um and so uh yeah so i just want to name that the united states has a gun idolatry problem we have some folks who are, yeah. Um, so we have some folks who are from outside of the United States here, and I would be really curious on y'all's perspective as well of, of your opinions of, of uh, the United States. But just looking in from the inside, it sure seems we have some issues. We, we, got, we got some issues here. And what do I mean by idolatry? I know that idolatry is a, a really loaded term for some folks. Idolatry simply means that you are trusting in something or loving something more than you are loving God. And so it's not saying that any one particular thing is necessarily bad or evil or corrupt in itself. It's just like the priorities are messed up. 
You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like when, you, when you're with a kid and the kid is like playing and, uh, and you're like, okay, well now it's time to see your grandparents who love you very much, but the kid like can't let go of the game because they can't imagine how like, uh, you know, it's like, it's like that, there's a, th- that dynamic there where God is like, hey, I love you so, 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 so much and I can't wait to like pour all of my love, all of you, for you to feel peace and joy in the world. And then we just kind of get stuck with our little, little games and our little toys because we can't, and it's like, no, 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 that's, so this is why we worship, by the way, because there's like a God who's like, I can't wait to love you and you keep focusing on like the very little tiny thing and I'm trying to get you to, to receive my love in, a, in an amazing, abundant, creative kind of way. And so, uh, so the United States has a gun violence problem. Here's, a, here's some stats. Um, the top 10 civilian gun-owning countries, this is reported by the BBC, estimated number of firearms per 100 residents. So the U.S. has 120 and a half firearms per 100 residents. We have more guns than we have people. And that is twice as much as Yemen. So, like, and, like you know, like four times as much as Lebanon. So like, do we, this is where we start to see some of the idolatry pieces, right? Because it's like, what is it about guns that we are so invested in, that we cling to so heartily, that we like need so much that there are more guns than there are people in this country? Like, what does that mean what does that mean, that, um, that this is something that is like a house, more than a household appliances? Like, we have more guns than we do, like, refrigerators in, in the U.S. Like, that's unreal, right? Um, it's troubling. And, and here's something from the Gun Violence Archive. The U.S. has had 216 mass shootings in 2022 alone. Like, this year, 216 mass shootings! And it's May! At 216 mass shootings, and of those mass shootings... Um, 27 of those were school shootings. 27% of all school sh- of all mass shootings that have happened this year were school shootings. And so, of course, our heart goes out to Evaldi, Texas, because um, so many people died in it, and and so many children and, and adults died. And like, think of all these children who don't get reported on, and think of all these children who, even if um, a lot of those school shootings. Um, uh, it didn't have as many casualties, but think of the children who had to witness that. Think of the, the kids who are now seeing their school as a place where that, this kind of thing can happen. Think of the teachers who are already not making enough money and who are already having to buy their own supplies and who are already having to like make a, a, a union just to be able to go on a bathroom break, <laughs> like who are already so stretched and who are now having to go through trainings to, to train them how to... to disarm someone who comes in their classroom with a gun. Like, just imagine uh, the implications of this, the mental health implications to our society, our collective society. 216 is a lot, y'all, and 12, uh, 12.5% is an unacceptable percentage of mass shootings that happen, um, uh, that impact our children, our little ones, the future of our society. And so in our society, here we have idolatry and child sacrifice by firearm. Just like the Valley of Hinnom, just like, the, the, just like Gehenna, we see an idolatry that is resulting in the death of children. And this is so upsetting to God that God looks at this and says, I couldn't even imagine this. 
This is a violence that is invented by humanity. This is a violence that is invented by humanity that has so forgotten their belovedness that they have resorted to things that they were never built to do. This is profoundly upsetting to the heart of God. And just because it happens all the time in our society does not mean that we can normalize the violence and the corruption of what is going on in our world. We have to look at these children and know that, you know, for these 10-year-olds, for these 5-year-olds who are witnessing this, this is the worst thing that they're going to see, you know, in their short lifetime. Like the worst, this is the worst thing that has happened for a lot of people in their lifetime at five years old, 10 years old. Like that's, that's unacceptable. We have to deal with this. And of course, I should also say like this is, um, oh yeah, is that, oh yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. One more, one back, we'll get there. <laughs> I just, uh, Jesus abolishes, spoiler alert. <laughs> Jesus abolishes hell. Um, no, 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 that's, no, that's good, that's good. Because y'all need to know that there's some hope in this too, right? Like, we're, we're a people of good news. We are a resurrection people. We are not simply going to settle for the tomb. We are people who are looking toward the resurrection, amen? Um, and, and that's really important, but before... <laughs> the, the last thing that I was going to say is, uh, on, the, on, that, on this topic, though, is that, of course, this is compounded by identity, and, of course, this is compounded by mar- marginalization, Like, queer people face more bullying and more threats and more violence. Black and brown folks, indigenous folks face more violence and threats. Um, Folks who are, children who are growing up in their community where a a mass shooting in a school is not the worst thing that they have witnessed in their small lifetime. Like, we have to understand this in an intersectional kind of way. We have to analyze, analyze this, not just thinking about what does this mean for the wealthiest schools, but also what does this mean for the poorest schools? What implications does this have on the mental health of the communities like the ones who um, are surrounding this church? We have to be thinking about that. Um, and the good news for all of us is that, drum roll, Jesus abolishes hell, y'all! <laughs> Even when we are creating the conditions for our own demise, God, in all of her infinite grace and mercy, says, I'm not going to leave you to the worst of your devices. Through the offering of grace, we see a a pathway to new life. This is the promise of Christianity. And it's so outrageous that I'm obsessed with it. Like, it's like, at some point... especially for folks who have done activism around gun violence, you know this, sometimes it just feels like we are up against a spiritual wall that is not moving. Even, even like, how many children have to be shot before we get some legislation around this, you know? And it just feels like this is so, so hard. And Jesus says, here's the good news about, about God, is that, that God looks at the people whose backs are against the wall and says, I am finding a new way for you. I'm finding new hope for you. I'm going to find a way that you can't even imagine. Because while we're out here doing the most terrible things that God can't imagine, God is creating a way to life that we can't imagine. And part of the reason why we worship is to try to become a little bit more like Jesus, to invite God a little bit more into our lives so that our imagination might open up to how we might all live together and where our children aren't being sacrificed at the altars of of firearms and white nationalism. This is the goal of what we're doing here. This is why we are trying 
so hard to beg God, like, God, please open our hearts, open our minds, open our hands so that we can get busy with the work of your kingdom, so that we can get busy with the work of stillness and peace, with joy and love. Like, God, show us how to build community together because, boy, weeks like this remind us how far off we are collectively, how, how easily we have forgotten our own belovedness, how out of touch we are with the hope that is in our bones. Weeks like this remind us that we create change. We are the ones responsible for creating change in our society, but unless the Holy Spirit is with us, unless the hope of God is with us, it'll never work. It'll all be fruitless. And so God, I, I, I ask you as Uh, in a pastoral role on behalf of this community that all of our imaginations might be open to create peace in this world. That all imaginations and hearts might be changed so that even in our workplace, even, even in our school systems, that there might be a little bit of change. I believe that, that Jesus abolishes our hellish conditions and I have hope for this from this reading in Acts too. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Which people? All people. The ones who were only the fancy ones who said the right words and were baptized? All people. Your sons and daughters and children will prophesy. Your young will see visions and your elders will dream dreams. This is the promise that we have in faith that children will not only be something that out of scarcity and fear we cling to, but out of mysticism and hope we look to for the future of the world. What if our children can teach us about God? What if our young people can show us the way to the kingdom? What if our elders can dream dreams of how we can create a new way apart from where we have been? What if in 50 years we have gun museums because we forget what these, those even were? What if, what if in 50 years, all of our children will look back at this history moment as the turning point for when our country started to take children seriously? What if in 50 years, we have more ancestors who are looking at us saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to the belovedness that God has put into your lives and for building a world where all of us can thrive and flourish? What if this were the hinge? And I suppose the cynical among us will always say, um, you know, what happened? Why wasn't last time the hinge? Why wasn't the time before that the hinge? Why wasn't? Why didn't we seek change when Columbine happened in the 90s? And I don't know. I'm just foolish enough in, in the gospel that I believe that I, I'm in a lineage of disciples who are looking at a crucified, massacred, sacrificed to idolatry Christ who were like, man, things are really bad. And then one day, God turned things around. One day, there was a resurrection of a body who was sacrificed to the idols of of empire power. One day, there was a Jesus who was like, hey, I'm back. And by the way, did you know that the world will never be the same? I believe that God turns things around, that at some point, things need to change. And I see today of all days as a really good candidate for us to get started. Amen? Amen.